proud member of this fellowship that has the ability to change and save lives. Man, before I do anything, I got to wipe off the goosebumps and thank Almighty God. Wow. What a gift. What a gift. I want to thank the West North Carolina, West North Carolina Convention of Narcotics Anonymous for having me. I want to thank Rachel for picking me up from the airport and letting me stay in her house the first night in Jelly Bean, keeping me in line and jet in, in the hospitality room. I just want to thank all of you guys. Oh man, I'm proud. All right. Wow. And then again, I want to thank Jersey, uh, uh, South Carolina uh, DJ over here, man, for what he brought to the table during the countdown. That was real spiritual. You know what I'm saying? I told my friend, I said, listen, all I got to say is thanks for letting me share. Because that was deep stuff, you know. And um, you know, I, I ain't sleep last night. You know how it is if you ever been asked to come before the mic. Like you, you, you go through some stuff. You know what I mean? It ain't, it ain't always easy to share. You know, you know, it takes courage. It takes work. It takes perseverance. You know, to come out here with a bunch of strangers that's really your friend and tell them the truth about what they already know. So again, I just want to really, really like get in touch with God and uh, allow him to kick in and, uh, and allow me to tell a little bit how I got here, you know, what it was like, you know, how I stay here and what it's like now. You know, first and foremost, let me tell you, I needed a spiritual high in the land of the sky. Before I go anywhere else. Not only did I come to be a blessing, but I came here to get one. You know, and I needed some, some spirituality I was going through. And I'm telling you right here, right now, is that if you ain't never went through, you've never been clean and worked the program. Cause you got, you, listen, this is a, this is a, a, a program where ups and downs is, is part of recovery. Like I can't stay the same place all the time. I got a disease that, that's always, it don't stop because I got clean time. It doesn't stop because I'm sponsoring a whole lot of men. It doesn't stop, it doesn't stop because I go to, I got a home group that speak, meet seven days a week and I mean they six out of the seven days. It don't stop. It wakes up long before I do. And it knows my flavor. So I'm just here to share because I, because I gotta share. You know, and I, and I don't want to always talk about the good Gucci stuff because the image will kill you. So let me give you a, a little bit, let me identify, you know, and I want to thank this first, the speaker from Friday night, Pearl. Pearl, I love you. Let's give Pearl a hand. Well, you set it off, you know, and uh, so anyway, I'm from South Carolina originally. I'm home. Yeah, I felt like I was home all weekend long. You know, the trees and the mountains and the, the coolness. You know what I mean? The yes sir, no sir stuff. Yeah. I reside in South Florida. I, I came there for a 28-day program and hadn't found it necessary to come back. <laughs> you know, and um, but before I got there, you, you know, like I came from a, a dysfunctional situation. My mother was killed by a serial killer when I was two years old, and uh, and I lived with a man till I was 10 years old that I thought was my father, and he was an imposter. You know, I can tell you a whole lot of story. I got a lot of stories. You know, I had a lot of dysfunctional going on. I never feel comfortable in the house that I was in. 
I wanted to be somebody, anybody. I just didn't want to be me. Somebody can identify. I remember living in a house that was on some bricks, and somebody can identify the houses on the bricks. And I used to go under the house and deal with the crawdads. And I used to make a wish. And my wish was to be somebody, anybody, just not me. So I searched for love all my life and settled for anything that was resemblative of it. So at 13, I picked up alcohol. For those that don't know, alcohol is a drug. <laughs> you know, and uh, it was the first time I felt good about myself. And I thought I had arrived. I knew I needed something. And I thought that I found it in drugs. And I remember running with that feeling. And I thought I was better than I ever were as a result. Never knew it, never knew where it was going to take me. At 17, I graduated from school. I went to the military. They gave me a license to drink. Y'all know the, y'all know the story. You know. I remember growing up thinking like, you know what, like I, I never knew my mother and I never knew my father and, you know, and that was alright because I never knew him. But, you know what, I don't ever want to treat anybody like the way I felt. I didn't never want kids out of wedlock. I'll never leave my kids. Y'all know the story. I, you know, I told myself I'll never be the guy that my father was, whomever he was, that I didn't know. Went in the military, did my thing four years, came out, got married, had two kids, wife, beautiful, you know, 17 years in the relationship with her. And um, somewhere along the line, and I was being very successful, and uh, my disease started acting out on me. And, uh, and I had a, a, a uh, extra marital affair. You know, I, I wanted more than just one. And it was a secret. Y'all know about the secrets, right? You know, this long before, listen, I, I haven't had my drug of choice yet. I, you know, my drug of choice at this time was sex. Y'all was deprived of, I didn't have no relationship there. So I told, listen, listen to rationalization. I ain't have no girlfriend growing up, so listen, I'm gonna make up. Right? I remember not willing to go in the bedroom because of how it made me feel with the inability to stop. I remember there came a time three or four years down the line having two relationships, two, two lifestyles, secret life in a, you know, in a regular life. And, and when, and when I went upstairs to the girlfriend, somebody else was there. And how it made me feel. And mind you, I couldn't tell nobody. Because it was a secret. See, it's hard to have a secret and tell somebody when they go, when, 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 it, when the shoe hit, right? I have nobody to tell. But leading up to my own advice, I found another avenue. That's when my, I was at 32 years old and I decided that I probably could do crack better than the people that I knew. I mean, all my, I mean, I saw it all around me. I don't know about nobody else, but I saw it and I saw what the devastation of what crack was doing to everyone, but I knew for him that my heart of heart that what did, what was doing for them would not happen to me. I was too smart. I was too strong. I was too witty. There's no way. I'm not built like that. Well, two years later, <laughs> I was homeless, jobless, and penniless. I remember leaving home, and it was eight years before I came back. 
I had two kids. And the funny thing about, and I and let me back up a little bit, because I got to share this little piece. I'm in a relationship, I got my wife, and, you know, I'm at the end of the road with the relationship with my wife, and uh, I remember going there and saying, listen, I need to get my money back. You know, you rob your house first. I don't know about nobody else. I, I robbed my house. I don't have no good drug story. So if you're looking for a good drug story, I had no pistols. I ain't robbed no dope dealers. I didn't go to prison for 10 years. I didn't do any of that. So if you had, listen, if you haven't done those things, welcome, you belong. I need to read. Because I had some reading. Before I get started on this journey. First and foremost, welcome. This book, which is the It Works High and Why, this book you have in your hand is a discussion of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Narcotics Anonymous. We realize that whether written or verbal, no discussion of something as personal and, in, and individual as recovery can be all things to all people. This book is not to be, not meant to be a, an exhaustive study of any steps and traditions nor is it meant to be the final word of any aspect of recovery or in a unity. Rather, it is meant to determine your own interpretation of the principles contained in, in the steps and tradition. We hope you will find personal growth, understanding, and empathy in the following pages. We pray you will be moved to a new level of insight into your recovery and the valuable place you occupy as a member of Narcotics Anonymous. The basic text. Basic means simple. Text means language to study. God, grant me the knowledge that I may share according to your divine precepts. Instill in me a sense of your purpose. Make me a servant of your will. And grant me the bond of selflessness. That this may truly be your works not mine, in order that no addict anywhere need die from the horrors of addiction. I remember the journey. I remember saying I'd never be like my dad. And I became everything that my dad was and then some. I remember going in the house, stealing out of the house, stealing things, man. I remember my wife at the time hiding the money under the pillow and I'm, and I'm getting her. She hiding it under the mattress and I was getting her. I remember one time, listen, I stole the key and pushed the car down the road because I was going to be back by the time she get up. Y'all know I didn't. I didn't make it. You know, and um, there was a time when I Someone came in my house looking for me. And they robbed my wife. They stabbed her in the, in the, in the abdomen. I remember being high. And on my way back, I saw the police surrounding my house. I thought they were looking for me. When I got there, they said, your wife was robbed and, and, and uh, stabbed. She's in the hospital, you know, and... um. I got my neighbor to take me there. I saw her in the hospital. They had to cut the rings off her finger. She had an operation. She was, it was successful. And my disease said, go pawn the rings. Cause you need one more. I didn't want to do it. I thought I had some control. I was hurting. My mother was killed by a serial killer. I promised to take care of my family, and here I am. As this little boy that's always vowed to be a stand-up guy, I wasn't built like that. And when that happened to me, my world caved in, and I found myself riding up and down the street with butcher knives on a bicycle. I had went to the other side. And it didn't matter what happened to me at that time. I, I went into that dark place, that dark hole, that dark place in your spirit where nothing matters. 
I'm talking about a disease that don't care about you where you came from. It doesn't care about all those promises that you made to yourself and the vows that you had with God and family. Like my wife didn't leave me, she escaped. When she got out of the hospital, she never came back. And I got these two kids, man, and, and like, and I can't look them in the eye because, you know, the guilt and shame was too unbearable for me to handle. So I said, listen, I'm going to go out on my own and I'm going to do my thing. And if I die, so what? It was eight years before I saw my, saw my, my family again. And in the, in the devastation that, that I caused myself and others along the way was among us. I remember being in Virginia. I'm at the homeless shelter. No, listen, I'm homeless. I'm walking down the street. And it didn't matter whether a man or woman stopped. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all. If you ain't did it, keep coming back. Thank God nobody stopped, so I don't have that story. But if they would have, see, there came a time that it didn't matter. See, I don't want to come in here and pretend that I'm somebody that I'm not. I don't want to put on no air because, see, image will kill me. It won't let me tell you the truth, and guess what? I'll be hiding inside of self, and I'll do it again because reservations. So I remember making it downtown and, and I was walking across a field and there was a cardboard box and if I don't know if you ever know, know anything about a cardboard box, but that was a safe haven for me. And I remember saying, oh man, God, thank you. There's a cardboard box. I moved that cardboard box under a tree where the soup line going to be tomorrow morning. And that was my best lick for the night. So after, I, after getting up the next morning, getting my little soup, and I went to, to the shelter, they let me in, and they allowed me to be a driver and pick up furniture, and there came a time when my disease, you know, you know, you, you know I had a bottom, right? I, I was at this bottom. I didn't know what the, my bottom would have trap doors. I had no idea. I had no idea. I didn't even know that I didn't know. So now I'm in this bottom, and I'm at this homeless shelter, and I, I listen, you and my man shared, from a lot of sad land, I was at the end of the road. So I thought, well, I couldn't use, and I didn't know how not to use. And I was in the shelter, and I, I had a great idea that I was going to put their, their furniture on consignment, and listen, get a couple of dollars, make a little lick. Right? Got the money. I told myself I can do just 20. Nobody will know. I rented out the truck to the dope man. He never came back. And I'm in a hopeless dilemma again. And it's 2 o'clock in the morning, I don't know. Listen, I didn't have no felonies, right? So I'm waiting on the truck. I don't, listen, all I want to do is get the truck back to the yard. I don't care about me, but I don't want that felony, y'all, right? So it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and my secret came by. Y'all ain't hearing me. She showed up right out of nowhere. Hey, what are you doing out there? Listen, I'm talking about God now. See, God working mysterious ways. That was God saying, listen, I got you. She took me in the car, took me to her house, gave me a bath, and the next day she brought me to South Carolina. Where I'm home. I've lived in Virginia for 18 years, and I had no way out. I was at the end of the end of the road. You know, when you can't even go to the shelter no more. And my disease told me the police are looking for me because I stole the truck. Like, I, what am I going to do now? 
So I ended up, like they took me all the way to South Carolina. I got to South Carolina and uh, went in my hometown and, you know, uh, you know, I was at, you know, I got another bottom, right? And uh, I met a friend and he said, I got something and y'all know what I did. My cousin came along, gave me his car. I rented it out the same night. You know, and all I'm saying, man, is like, I don't have a good drugstore. But I need to tell you the devastation of how this disease robbed me of everything that I told myself that I'll never do. Like I told myself, if I ever get home, I won't be the guy I was in Virginia in the same day. See, I got a disease, don't care shit about me. It don't care what I say. It don't even care. It told me, listen, I tell you, if I could get to South Carolina, I'll be all right. Well, I got there. And that's when my nephew wanted to kill me. He took me in, gave me a hundred dollars, bought me some clothes, told me I ain't had to do nothing, just hang out with me, cuz. And then he messed around here and left some cookies on the table. Y'all know. I had six months clean, white knuckling, if you know, you know. I'm holding on. I don't know what nothing about being an addict yet. I, you know, I'm in denial. Denial is a part of disease that makes it difficult for me to see reality. So he said, clean the crumbs up, Cal. And y'all know what I did. I robbed him the same night. And, and, and he caught me. Y'all ever got caught with the bomb? I got caught with the bomb, y'all, right? Another God story. I got caught with the bomb. I'm in the dark. I'm in the woods. Y'all know about the woods in the south. I'm in the woods. He called me coming around the bushes. He had the nine and the shotgun. And he said, look, man, where my shit? I'm like, you know. Mm. Mm. I can't talk when I get out. You know, and I know not to run, right? You don't run. You don't never run. Don't run from the bullet, right? You got to, listen, I'm saying, like, this family, right? Like, I can't talk, and I don't have the, I don't have the bomb. So, like, I'm going to look at him, and he's going to look at me, and he started to cry. I say, shit, I might can walk away. So I walk, you know, gingerly. I figured he'd shoot me in the ass, it'll be all right. I reserved that. I, I deserved that. I remember thinking, like, I deserved that whip. And he shot over my head, and I got across the field, and he drove around again. And uh, I need to tell you, man, like the guy's in, in jail doing 25 to life for killing the next guy. I don't know why God loved me, but he did. I got I got a lot of God's stories, man. I, I, you know, I got a lot of stories where they came to get me. I remember going to jail the day they came with a shotgun to get me in my house. Like, you know, I got those stories. You know, and I remember surrendering the first time in 1996, because so relapse is part of my story. I remember going to the hospital and telling them I want to kill myself. I, there came a time when I'd rather to kill myself than to use like one more day. And I remember going in there and, and I cried all the way to uh, Columbia. What's the name of that place? Whatever the name of the place. The state hospital in Columbia. Yeah. I went to Morris Village. <laughs> Right? So um, I got there and, and I talked to a, a case manager and they say, man, you an addict. First sign of hope, y'all. Because I thought I was crazy. And I thought I was losing my mind. And I was, and, and they brought some H&I. Thank God for the H&I. Give H&I a hand. You know, and that's when I first time I ever heard a message was in Morris Village. And um, the speaker was standing up like I am today, and he said the magical word, you never have to use again a day of your life, a day at a time. Nobody ever told me that I didn't have to get high, ever. And I'm like, wow. 
They say, man, there's a few things you got to do when you leave here. You go, you don't go back home. Go to a halfway house. Get a sponsor. Do 90 meetings in 90 days. Work some steps. So I went out, man. I, I'm, I'm gun ho, man. I'm ready to do this. I, you know, saying I'm feeling good about myself. I went out and I got me a halfway house. I, I got a sponsor and I called him like five times that year. You know, they told me to work. They told me to work steps. You know, so I worked the first step. You know what I'm saying? And I remember, you know, I remember getting my one year medallion and graduating from Narcotics Anonymous. I remember saying, "Man, I have arrived." And I remember, you know, I'm that guy that he talks about that left out on religious zeal. Remember, I was spiritual. You know, and now that I did a year here, I can go over there and, and do some damage. And I went into the, you know, that other place. And in three months, my disease, the literature said medicine, religion, psychiatry is not sufficient for us. My disease will always resurface and continue to progress until in desperation I saw help from each other in Narcotics Anonymous. I remember being there, man, and, and some stuff went down and, and I didn't have the ability to handle it. I, didn't, I, was, I was an emotional cripple. I didn't even know that I didn't know. And um, I went back on my wheel and I started doing some things, some behaviors long before I picked up the drugs. I remember relapsing on eggnog with vodka. Nobody, see, when I, I, nobody told me eggnog had vodka. And I, 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 was pretty, I, I just was drinking. I was in the wrong place at the right time. And $300 later that night, smoking crack, I decided, you know, I, I guess I relapsed. Okay? Three years later, check it out. In a baby, I'm on the way. I was in a relationship, it was a drug affair. Anybody ever had a drug affair? Y'all can identify with a drug affair. She smoked crack, I smoked crack, let's get, let's make a baby. I didn't dust her off, Pearl. I just smoked with her. I remember having a resentment with her because she was pregnant, but I was bringing the dope. Who do that? I'm bringing the dope. I'm the one working. I got to resent with her because she's smoking, but I'm bringing the dope. I, I, after I got clean and did the first step, I found out like I, she, I was just as responsible as she were. So anyway, man, like three years later, man, like, I, I, you know, I was at the end of the road again. But it's a different kind of end of the road when you had some recovery. It ain't the same end of the road anymore. Because, see, I knew that I didn't have to do it anymore. See, now I'm, now I'm using and knowing there's a way and not taking it that way out. So I remember February the 23rd, 2001, 7.30 in the morning. The dope boy, they got my money the night before and didn't come back to the next morning. And it was short on the 50. I'm like, man, I ain't doing this no more. I'm so done. And I remember crying out to God, you know, like we always do. But this time it was, you know, it was, it was different. I remember saying, God, I can't do this anymore. I am so tired of me. I said, God, if you would just take this burden from me, I'll do anything you ask me and I'll go wherever you send. And when I got off the ground, ladies and gentlemen, I need to tell you the obsession to you dope was lifted. And that's the miracle. An unexplainable event. Didn't make no sense. I only used from 13 
till 42. That's 29 years of using and in, and in a blink of an eye. See, because you got to get the magnitude of what God has done for me. Long before I got to the program. But what I told him was that wherever you send me, I'll go. So I made the phone call. 1-800-COCAINE-ANONYMOUS. They sent me to South Florida. And I've been in this program ever since. And I haven't found it necessary to put up a mind, mood, and all the substance in my body. And I haven't wanted to kill myself ever since. So I landed here. <laughs> I landed here. As my sponsor can say, like a greasy pork chop. <laughs> they had to throw sawdust down so they'll slow me down. I sat on the front row this time. They call this the critical unit. Intensive care. I got a home group. It's the 530 group. We meet in Fort Lauderdale seven days a week at 530. That was the first meeting I went to, and it's the same meeting I go to today. It's a loving place. If you ever die there, look us up. I sat on the front row, and, and listen, and, I, and they told me to pick up some literature so somebody can know who you are. Don't just sit around. Get involved. Pick up some literature. Pick up some chairs. I got a sponsor. My sponsor, he sounded so profound. I need to tell you, like, my first sponsor, the lady that I halfway house, I was in, she wouldn't let me, let, let him sponsor me. So there was a lady in my halfway, I got my, that chose my first sponsor. My first sponsor relapsed when, when I got a year clean, I got a new sponsor. That's the same sponsor I had for the last 10 years. I'm a one firm believer that I don't need to change sponsor, I need to change the behaviors. I don't need to change sponsor, I need to do the work. You know, when I got an issue with my sponsor, I wonder what's wrong with me. I got this sponsor, man, and I called him. I told him I called him for 30 days. I called him for, you know, for 90 days. I was afraid. I called him up. You know, I started working steps. You know, I got in touch with who's an addict. Most of us don't even have to think twice. Our whole life is, is sending in drugs in one form or another to get in and use it and finding ways and means to get more. We live to use and use and live very simple. An addict is a man or woman whose life is controlled by drugs. We are people in the grips of a continuous and progressive illness that ends are always the same. I got that. I got that. You know, and um, I got to, you know, I start working the steps and I, you know, and I start practicing some principles, man. They, they told me that I need to practice the principles. You know, like, like I could, you know, like I read them on the wall and that was all good, but, you know, then I needed to understand the honesty. You know, that I gotta be honest with myself that I can't use successfully. I didn't come in here brimming with honesty, love, and compassion. The literature talks about that. So I had to get honest with myself. Then there's a second surrender in the first step, and I missed it the first time, and like my life became unmanageable. It told me that unmanageability is the second surrender. I had to see where my life, where this drug had took me. And as a result of surrendering and seeing that maybe this program will work for me, I went on to the second step. And I needed some hope. And I found out hope was the only principle that you can give another human being. They told me to get a dictionary. To get the literature, get a dictionary, because you don't know what you don't know. And I thought I knew some stuff. I'm pretty intelligent. I'm pretty bright, right? And I, once I got a dictionary, I found out I ain't no shit. And everything I knew was up for revision. So I looked up hope. They said, man, something that, you know, that, that, that desire that could come true. You know, so I need to be restored to sanity. I'm like, okay, I'm insane. Okay, you know, I, I can see me being insane, right? Because I was insane long before I thought I was an addict. So it was easy for me to see that I need some help, you know. So I, 
you know, I listened to the people that were sharing, and, and they became my whole, my first uh, halfway house, and Narcotics Anonymous don't endorse halfway house, so, you know, if I'm sharing, that's just having to be my story. You know, that's my story. The 12th step said, in order to, there's one requirement for carrying a message. You must be yourself. He had 10 years clean. He was my second step. Because who, who smoked crack and stayed clean for 10 years? I never heard of him. I'm like, man, you're my second step. So, so you know, I followed him around. He showed me how to have fun and recovery by going to conventions and things like this. I remember practicing some faith, and um, me and my sponsor went to the, to, the, to the sea or the ocean, you know, and I was looking for, you know, to be, you know, I want to be elevated. You know, I, you know, I heard all these stories about the third step and the faith piece and turning it over. And, you know, I did the work because I want to be a good at it. I remember trying to be a perfect at it. There's no such thing. But when I got here, I didn't want to do wrong. I wanted, I was, I was, I was so beat up that I just wanted to do the right thing. I wasn't taking no risks. Because even though my story ain't bad as some story, and then my story is worse than some story, I don't want my story again. Whatever it is. So I was just wanting to do the right thing. And, and I, I did that third step, and I'm running. I'm like, okay, I'm here to do the third step. And I remember leaving and feeling empty because nothing happened. Like I was the same joker that went to the border. You know, and, and he told me to keep practicing. I need to tell you today, my third step is the bomb. See, I found out, like, I didn't turn nothing over until I tried to control, manipulate some, some stuff. I didn't just turn it over. You don't just turn nothing over. I turn it over when I can't do nothing else with it. First time I try to do something, listen, I'll, ne- I'll never still turn nothing over until I try to manipulate it, control it, you know, move it around, fix it. And then when all is said is done, now, okay, I'll turn it on. I've gotten better, but I'm still want to fix some stuff. But I need to tell you, man, like, I got a God of my understanding that's loving, caring, and powerful and forgiving. I needed something, I needed someone to forgive me. I beat myself up so bad. I walk around with the ball and the chain. I beat myself up, man. And I just need to be forgiven. I need to learn how to forgive myself. You know, and I got a God of my understanding that's in my life today, man. Like, like I pray in the morning. And I ask him, I like, like, you know, keep me. I pray, I thank him at night. But everything during the day is not my business. I need to tell you, man, since I got clean, everything that God, that, that everything that God took me to, he brought me through. He always made provisions for me to get to the other side of any situation that's been in my life since I got clean. I can tell you so many beautiful stories. Listen, I, I got diabetes when I was half four years clean. My sponsor moved in with me with diabetes when I got four years clean just to get me to the other side. Came out of nowhere. I remember people telling me, you know what? I believe people that never worked the fourth step is the one that tell you how bad the fourth step is. I mean, them, they got to be like, they always like, Man, listen, oh man, the four step this, that, no, okay, okay, all right, all right. You need some courage, all right, okay. But I found out the most loving thing, they literally say the most loving thing that you could ever do is do a searching and moral inventory. You know, and I want my sponsor to know I loved it. And I love myself. So I did it, you know. And I talk about some of the despicable things. I remember saying, man, I, you know, like, uh, you know, and I didn't want to, you know, you know how you don't want to share certain things. So I didn't want to tell him that I let the guy do the number, you know, and, you know, I, I was trying to hold off on that. And I say, well, you know, because, you know, as long as I ain't, you know, I, you know, he, he, he said, well, listen, well, no matter how you did it, you're still in the game. 
that no. You know. But the thing about it is he told me some despicable things about himself. He never judged me. You know. And as a result of that, man, like I can come and share with you guys. You know. We are as sick as our secrets. It's so important to get that stuff out of me. I thought that I was, you know, like, different. I thought I was unique. You know what I mean? And then I shared my story, and they're like, shit, everybody does that. <laughs> when you get high like we do, everybody does that. You know, okay. So, um, you know, I had some names along the way. Calvin, Leon, Pistol Pete, Hercules, Strong. At the end, they called me Hallway. <laughs> you know. So as a result of that fourth step, I got in touch with who I really was. You know, the root word of integrity is to integrate. You know, you know, so, you know, you know, I can say integrity is like price and presence in the dark, but I also can tell you that part of integrity is being who you say you are. See, I stopped being all of those names. I, listen, my name is Calvin S. Nothing more and nothing less. I am who I say I am. And that's all I am. Don't put me nowhere I don't belong. I tell my sponsor, don't put me in, don't put me over there. Cause you're gonna kill me because when I get, when I don't show up the way you think I should show up, I can't come to you. Cause, and I say that because a lot of times, as a result of working a program of recovery, you know, people put us in places we shouldn't be. I want a recovery. I don't want to be a big fish in a little pond. I just want to be able to swim. You know, but I got a right. I want to be able to come to you and tell you everything that's going on with me. But if you put me on a pedestal, I'm afraid to tell you because then I, I'm going to hurt. Listen, I'm going to hurt you. I just want to be able to like, like recover like anybody else in the rooms of Narcotics Anonymous, being anonymous. That means faceless and nameless. No big eyes and no little U's. Let me walk you in the room, sit down, man, and get the message like anybody else. And if I find a perfect addict in here, I'm running from him. I don't want nobody too spiritual. So I had to get away from it. My sponsor made me watch cartoons. I got some defects of character, man. It's worse than anything, any drug that I ever had. You know, and uh, they told me that's where the, the rubber meets the road. They told me that way the boys of men come up. You know, and I got in touch with some stuff. And I remember, like, pornography was my new drug of choice. I know nobody don't know about that. You know, and I remember saying, you know, because I, I judge myself, so I say, listen, I, you know, it looks like it's supposed to be wrong, so I'm not going to do it anymore, even though that's what I wanted to do. But because I had judged myself, I, I, I gave it away, and I bought it again, and I, and I burned it, and I, and I bought it again, and I put, dug it, I put, you know, I put, put it in a hole, and I. So I was a guy that really believed that just because I didn't want to do it, that I didn't have to do it, in spite of the fact that I liked doing it. And I was in, in a meeting, and the guy said, man, stop praying for stuff until you're ready to let it go. So I'm here to tell you, like, you know what, like, like, until I can accept my dilemma right where I'm at, I can't get better. I need to see myself just the way I am. I'm not promoting anything. I'm just telling you, whatever your disease is, and we all got it. We suffer from a, a, a disease that manifests itself in all areas of our lives. I got some literature to back it up. The disease of addiction, first page. What makes us addicts is the disease of addiction. Not the drugs, not our behavior, but our disease. There is something within us that makes us unable to control our use of drugs. The same something also makes us prone to obsession and compulsion. 
in other areas of our lives. How can we tell when we're diseased and active? When we are trapped in obsessive, compulsive, self-centered routines, endless loops that lead to nowhere but physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional decay. It ain't about the drugs. Yeah, this is narcotics anonymous. But my problem goes a lot deeper. And if I only deal with I'm not using, I'll die. You shared it, Pearl. If I only deal with just the drugs, then the problem is still with me. The inability to deal with my own personal responsibility, I'll create my own problem. So I got to go a little deeper. So I found out that in the sixth step that I can, listen, I can, I can cut the trees down, but I better get to the root. Because I kept, you know, I kept cutting the limbs off, but they, they, they kept resurfacing. And I'm judging me. And now I got to hide. I got to wait till she leave. Like I'm using dope. Somebody can identify. She gone. Looking out the window. Did she pull off? Y'all know it. And I tell myself. I ain't hurting nobody. But I'm dying spiritually. That's my truth. Thank God for humility. Thank God that he gave me an out. He said, man, listen, it's okay to be human. He said, it's okay, man, to like make mistakes along the way. Stop beating yourself up for things that you're not ready for yet. Just keep coming back. Stop asking God to remove things before you're ready to let it go. Stop asking him to stop smoking cigarettes when you're on your way to the store to buy some. I don't smoke no more, but give me one right now. Stop playing with God. It's just an analogy. Everybody got a piece that they can put in there. Put your piece in it. I made a list. My sponsor, I gave my list to my sponsor. He said, well, where are you on the list? I said, what do you mean, sponsor? Because, see, I'm still with the guilt and shame. I didn't know I had guilt and shame until I gave him the list and I went on the list. He said, why you didn't put you on the list? Okay. I put me on the list. He said, why you put that person on the list? Listen, you don't owe them nothing. (laughs) You know, you know, the second part of that was like I was got uh, I wanted to make that amends. And I remember going to my sponsor and doing ninth step, and I knew, knew he was gonna give me all this good stuff, right? You know, I'm practicing self-discipline, man. Okay, sponsor, I got this stuff here, I'm laid out. Now what do I do with this one, this one, and this one? He said, just stay clean. Excuse me. Just stay clean. More will be revealed. I need to tell you guys, man, like, I was able to make an amend to everybody that was on that list. And one of the people that I had to make an amends was, was by my wife, my ex-wife at the time. My new wife is over there, so she going to get me if I don't recognize. That's my new wife. Great. I remember I used to share all the time. She said, well, Cam, why y'all we talking about your wife? I'm your wife. I got it right, right? Okay. Okay. So my daughter came down, right, and she would visit me, and I and, and, and I bought her a ring, and my, my ex-wife said, Calvin, can you get me a ring like that? And I, I said, sure, I can get you a ring, because I didn't know how I was going to make amends about that ring thing. So she said, yeah. I said, yeah. I, can. I said, I owe you a ring. She said, no, you don't. I forgave you back in the day. I said, no, that ain't how we do it in here. I owe you a ring. Tell me your size, I'll get it and I'll send it to you. Don't send me nothing. This is for the ring that I took back in the day. 
I was able to make an amends in an area where I thought that was impossible. But when they told me to keep coming back and stay clean, anything is possible. I had this son, right? When my son is on the list, and I got to go through here. I got a little bit of time. My son was on the list. My son was 10 when I left, when I left. He was 18 when I saw him again. And, um, and I promised him a car back in the days. And when he came back in my life, you know, the guilt and shame said, get him a car. And I got him a car. My son was the basketball player of the year for the state of Virginia. And I'd never seen him play ball. He came looking for me on his 18th birthday. I was in treatment. So I'm, you know, I'm trying to make some amends and, and like, like I went to his college and he got a full four year scholarship and he was doing his thing and I got back in his life and I remember writing the letter saying, you know, please let me in. And he said, okay, we'll think about it. And, and six years later, right after doing all that stuff I thought I should have done, me and I'm having one of those long conversations and I remember saying to him, I said, son, I, you know what? I need to apologize for not being a good dad. And my son said to me, it's about time. I'm talking about that, you know, like like making direct amends, like thinking that I'm giving him some stuff and, and being a good dad as of then. I never apologized for him for the joke I was before, and it never came true. I didn't just free myself. I freed him up to love me. See, because he wasn't able to let go of nothing. Because I never directly said, man, I'm sorry for not being a good dad. So now I got this little 14-year-old kid that was coming to visit me from the, the drug affair, right? So he come to the come to the spot and like he, me and him sitting down and, and in the car before we go in the house. He said, "Dad, can I ask you three questions?" I said, "What, son?" He said, "Dad, why did you leave me?" Then he went on and said, "Dad, why didn't you come back?" And finally, he said, "Dad, if you could do it all over again, would you do it?" And I had to I had to make an amends to my son, but I implement uh, indicating that his mother was an addict. Uh, she don't she still haven't gotten to that piece yet. She's in church, going as if she never it never existed for her. He doesn't know her story. They only know my story, and I can't take I can't help him out about my story by implementing her in her story. So I had to make an amends, and I had to keep that amends on me. He said, "Dad, I'll stay with you, but my mom needs." I said, son, I know you got to go. I had to make some financial amends, man. And I, boy, who want to do that? But I paid them $50 a month, $25 a month. When I got here, I couldn't get a bank account. Today I got 700 credit. It's all as a result of the ninth, eighth, and ninth step and doing the work. Then I get to look at myself. This talks about that that uh, perseverance, man. Like 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 taking a look at what's going on me in the here and now, so I don't back myself in a corner that I can't come out clean. And that's why I'm here today. And when I say to you guys that I needed a a spirituality in this land of the sky because of my my tenth step, when I take an inventory, and some days. Some days I can do this stuff real well, but there's some days that because of the work that I do and all the things, the pressure upon me, it's, it's sometimes more than I can bear. And I want to escape. And some days I do. And, and, and when I do, it causes me spiritual harm because I'm going against my own spirit. And the literature and the principle won't let you stay in it. It won't let you stay in it. But I have to tell myself the truth on a regular basis. I don't, and then I don't keep no secret. I share. But I got get, I got to get better in some more areas of my life. I, God is not done with me yet. I'm in a process of recovery. I'm not. I haven't recovered. You know, and I'm practicing this program to the best of my ability and based on my will and based on my spiritual condition. And every day is not a great day. But six days out of seven, and then six and a half days out of seven, I'm on my I'm top of my game. And I'm blessed. I have a life beyond my wildest of wildest of wildest of dreams. Man, if God took me today, I'm all right. I need to tell you that. I understand the mountaintop sermon. You don't have to do anything else for me. 
Today, I ask, I pray for God to give me the power to keep the things that he's already given through prayer and meditation. I don't ask for nothing because I have to be careful. Most of the time when I ask for stuff, I don't know what's best for me anyway. So what I do, I, instead of, because I asked God for a good wife and he gave me a good wife and I lost her. Now I ask for her. I ask God to let me be a good husband. See, I had to change that around because he always give me what I asked for. But now I need to ask God to give me the power to keep it. Keep the job. Keep the husband. Keep the faith. Keep the relationship. Keep my recovery. I can't do it without you. And as a result of that, and as a result of that, we get to come here and carry the message and talk about that new way of life. This new way of life that I found here in Narcotics Anonymous, man, I wouldn't trade this. Listen, I am a happy camper. I am a satisfied camper. This is the greatest show on earth. And I need to tell you, you guys are beautiful. You look good. You know what I'm saying? You smell good. And I was at the dance last night, and they were jumping around, jump around, jump around. I'm like, damn. They're having fun, and nobody is smoking, and nobody is shooting, and nobody is fighting. This is what we do in Narcotics Anonymous. Man, I found a home here. I never felt love. I never felt love until I got in the rooms of Narcotics Anonymous. I've looked for all my life to find a place that my spirit will rest. I searched all my life. I went everywhere. I've been over, I've been all over the place. It's my, this is the only place I ever felt comfortable. Ever. Right here. And this is where I do all my service. I don't go nowhere else. I'm not a renegade. I'm just a recovering Narcotics Anonymous member. And I'll do anything for this loving fellowship. Because it saved my life. It gave me a life. And I can't imagine where I would be without it. So I owe a debt of gratitude. No matter how many sponsors I got, how many steps I work, how many meetings I attend, how many service committees I attend, I can never repay the debt to this program, ever, to the day I die. And in closing, this is the new literature, Living Clean. Give Living Clean a shout out because this is some good stuff. Living clean. The most important thing about living clean is that we are alive to do it. <laughs> rewind. Y'all need a rewind? The most important thing about living clean is that we are alive to do it. And for the people with the disease of addiction, there is nothing less than a miracle. We do recover in live, to live full and, re, and rewarding lives. Those lives presents us with challenges, some in which we never expected. Living beyond our wildest dreams often means that we are in uncharted territory. The countless addicts who are contributing to this book have made clear the miracle of getting clean is not the last one we experience or the last one we need. We have learned that we really can survive anything. Y'all heard that? Anything. Somebody tell your neighbor anything. We can survive anything, no matter what it is. And stay clean. It's never too late. Check it out now. Check it out. It's never too late to start over. Reconnect with the fellowship, work step, and have a spiritual awakening and find a new way to live. 
As long as we are willing to stay clean and keep coming back, our recovery continue to unfold in ways we couldn't imagine. We are living clean, and every day the journey continues. I'm going to add it name, Calvin. Thanks for letting me share.